0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Barbie and Ken really represent intimacy and friendship, which really should be the starting point of any relationship.
1: That's my guest, Donna Rice, describing the positive impact of Barbie and Ken on our love lives. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Betic. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, my guests are the co-authors of Diva Bedick's new ebook. Sweet Romance, A Woman's Guide to Love and Intimacy with Diabetes. Donna Rice is a registered nurse and certified diabetes care and education specialist. Dr. Janice Rosler is a board-certified sex therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified diabetes care and education specialist, and a registered dietitian. Stay tuned as we get in bed with Barbie and Ken to discuss sexual health issues and concerns for both men and women. With
2: diabetes you know do people learn about the birds and the bees from dolls like Barbie? I think that the age starts much younger when when individuals play with Barbie and Ken uh, For one example in my family my three-year-old twin granddaughters have a big trunk filled with Barbies and Barbie clothes and all that and their way of play, it has nothing to do with sex or intercourse or intimacy or any of the things that gradually we start to introduce our children to as far as um you know sexual expression and it's all about fun and and brushing the hair and having uh having playtime in terms of fantasy. So if we're looking to Barbie and Ken to learn sexual information, there are far better dolls that are, um, you know, that are physically and, and anatomically accurate that sex therapists, for example, and even parents can use to help their children or help even help adults understand different parts of their body.
0: Uh, I, I have to agree with Janice because I I know I had a Barbie dolls and I never connotated it with any kind of like sexual action or whatever it was really about fashion it was about her hair and her clothes and just growing up I mean I think there was a whole different perspective and then the other aspect too is the perception a lot of people especially older people maybe have a different perspective of what sexuality is and intimacy and friendship and I think it all plays a role and you really need like Janice said to really understand your audience and what they're where they're coming from.
1: It's interesting in today's world, right, Donna, to look at how like several schools are banning books about your anatomy and to think like this doll never had an anatomy and how that impacts just how we grow up and how we think about love and intimacy.
0: Even looking at the schools today and kind of like kind of like what their thoughts are on sexuality and how really they're bringing it down to kind of, you know, second and third graders today. So I think, you know, looking back, it really reflected the times. I mean, it wasn't talked about in the school and sexuality was kind of like hushed as well, right? So just looking at the contrast of where we are and where we've been and where we're going, I think that the hype around Barbie and Ken today with some of the things that they're saying about them kind of like makes sense when you just think of the, you know, the trajectory of where we were, you know, 40, 50 years ago talking about sexual health and sexuality versus where we are today and where we're going. And I think Barbie and Ken have been kind of caught in that kind of like time warp where, you know, they they, they were there, their, their friendship, there's intimacy, it's the fashion, it's everything that, you know, from a play perspective, but not really from a, you know, a sexual health or education perspective.
1: You and I, in a prior conversation, uh, Janice talked about how maybe not having genitalia could help certain people as well who may be non-binary or trans. So I'm just, what were your thoughts on that?
2: Well, this is interesting. Be, to prepare for this interview, what I decided to do, since I am on staff at the International Institute of Clinical Sexology, the we have a listserv, and we have about um, 200 at least 200 sex therapists who are being trained, who are participating in the sex therapist, pre and post training. And I decided to post that as a question on the listserv. What do you guys think about Barbie and Ken and the fact that they don't have any genitalia? And the comments were varied and so interesting. Um, Some of the comments, as you mentioned, came from sex therapists who said, what a great opportunity to take Um, the binary piece out of it yes we see that that barbie looks a certain way ken looks a certain way but because there's no genitalia a child can use their imagination and their own um, decision regarding the identity of these dolls and the gender expression of these dolls and connect to them in any way they want And one other therapist said, you know, one day I was Barbie and the other day I was Ken. And I loved that I could go back and forth and be whatever I wanted in my mind and experiment and play. So in terms of giving freedom to that type of fantasy and that type of experimentation and role play is actually a wonderful thing that the whole Barbie and Ken world offers.
1: Can Barbie and Ken still experience intimacy even if they can't have intercourse? Stay tuned.
0: I think in intimacy is really kind of like the starting point. It's friendship, it's intimacy, it's sharing. And we know that there's a lot of different types of intimacy. And if you look at, you know, the history of Barbie and Ken too, there was that strong bond and that friendship. So certainly they could be intimate and, you know, have a good time, share different of life experiences and do different things together. And, and really that is forms of intimacy.
2: So you know in terms of what is intimacy intimacy is connection and there's uh we know there's there's several types of intimacy and that they're not all sexual sometimes it's doing things together as donna mentioned it's having intellectual conversations it's doing something spiritual like praying together it could be doing sports together walking together riding bikes together And it could be physical, that's not necessarily sexual, it could be hugging, giving a quick kiss, holding hands, it could be um, non physical, uh, where you're you're saying affectionate things how much you appreciate each other, there's so many different ways to connect to whoever you want for your intimate partner. And the you know, on another piece, we're, we're, getting very focused on the on what's between the legs of barbie and ken but there are a lot of ways to have um, sexual um, not just sexual expression but sexual satisfaction for example if someone will say is paralyzed from uh the shoulders down they can experience an orgasm because the body can through um, stimulation of the face through massage, through all different touch, the body, everything is wound up in the brain. And we know that people who are paralyzed can learn to enjoy orgasms and experience orgasms without having um, genitalia function the way we expect them to. And without relying on the genitals to work in a certain way.
1: Yes, I want to ask you a question because we are talking about people affected by living with and at risk of diabetes and specifically, you know, I wanted to uh, bring up the intimacy issue to then talk about like uh, men who might be suffering from erectile dysfunction and what you're so when you put it in the context of what you just said about being paralyzed. Uh, is this intimacy available for someone with ED? Because obviously, that would be something that maybe they would shy away from being in, 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 wanting to be with their partner, no matter what. And I could see relationships dissolving, or just the fact that they wouldn't even want to get involved with someone because of it.
2: You know, it's interesting. There's something called tantric sex, and tantric sex it has a lot to do with kind of suppressing. Um, And that's suppressing, I should say, with waiting and building up sexual tension. And so what you do is you hold off on the the, um, erection and you hold off on the ejaculation. And if you can't have an erection, that doesn't mean that you can't have an orgasm. It's possible. And also you can have an orgasm and not have um, an ejaculation. So there's a lot of different ways to approach sexuality. And the one thing that we forget is our bodies have so many sensual locations. A lot of people can get incredibly turned on when someone massages their ears or other parts of their body or their feet. And uh, so if we just totally focused on vaginal penile, um areas of the body, we're missing a whole lot of other things that can give incredible stimulation. And also the orgasm doesn't have to be the end game. Just having sexual expression, sexual fun and pleasure in so many other ways. There's many, many layers of different ways to enjoy things and to say, oh my gosh, if I don't have a, a, a firm Uh, you know, erection and then an ejaculation that it's been a failure and it doesn't have to be the case. One thing we know about men with diabetes is that, uh, first of all, their erection is very much related to or associated with their blood sugar control uh, ability to keep their blood sugar in a healthy range. The more that the blood sugar level goes too high, the the likelier they're going to have trouble with erections. And also, the opposite is, is possible. It happens as well, which is if they start to improve their blood sugar ability and the, where their blood sugar is um, throughout the day, then they are more likely to have healthier erections. And so, that's a big piece. But there's so much to do in the entire global world of, of sexuality and intimacy that while they're healing, while they're working on themselves, they can still have wonderful, intimate and sexual interactions with their partners.
1: And Donna, how about women with diabetes? Because um, I want to ask you some of the more uh, common Health issues they might, sexual health issues they might be dealing with, specifically, like if it's painful to have sex, they might not want to have intercourse. So, is intimacy an option for them?
0: Yes, and I think one of the starting points, and I think Janice alluded to it, that we've always talked when we, when we do education um, to both professionals and to patients, we really talk about really set aside the kind of the penis and the vagina, get away from that, really start focusing on what you love about that person and, and what really turns you on in the beginning and to really try to get them back to those intimate moments so they could start really focusing on really what mattered and what really made them um, really attracted to that person. And then if they're having issues like related with women related to like pain, sometimes it could be related to, to vaginal dryness. There's remedies that can help that. So I think really the bottom line is really help helping them to focus um away from kind of the sex act into what makes a difference. And if there's real issues related to the sex act, let's look and try to get some treatments or remedies that can help that as well. So I think you need to kind of do both of them together, but in many instances, especially with men, and if they're having trouble with erection, it's really, like Janice said, really getting them to really like focus on other ways of um, that where they're sensitive and where they really feel sexual and sensual as well.
2: Well, and also I wanna mention this doesn't mean give give up and accept where you are. And we're sorry, this is what you've got. That's not the case. There is a treatment for absolutely every person. And for men, for example, those are those who are want to, uh, you know, who have penises and want to be active. We've got all the different medications that may work in some men. All those pills, like Viagra. We also have a lot of different lubricants that can be helpful. Um, there's injections. There's um, there's different types of um, uh, different types of things that they can use. The vacuum pump, and also they can take an implant, which um, is brings incredible uh, pleasure to have that because it works as naturally as possible. And even the partner won't even recognize that the person has something. So there's a lot of tools for the men. For women, we know primarily, uh, you know, we've got lubrication issues, there's vaginal pain that sometimes happen, happens with women. Uh, there can be issues with orgasm, and we know that depression is often linked very closely to women who are struggling with their sexual response. And that's a big thing for women with diabetes as well, because depression is also linked very closely to depression, to diabetes. So with women, we, we can treat that. We also treat the relationship between the couple. Uh, there's so many different options and things to try. So I guess the big message for your audience is don't give up and don't think that you can't have a richer, more, more, fulfilling intimate and sexual life.
0: Right. And I think another message is really ask, ask for help. And if you don't feel like you're getting the answers from your provider, there's other providers that you can go to. So don't give up. And I think that's, that's really the message. And I can't tell you how many times um, people would say to me, I am so glad we met you. I didn't know that there was even anything out there. I thought it was over. And they're just so relieved that there are options out there. But if you don't ask, Oftentimes, people, you know, healthcare providers don't pose the question first. Sometimes you have to bring it up too.
1: Straight ahead, my guests and I discuss what to do if you and your partner don't see eye to eye in the bedroom. We're back with the co authors of Sweet Romance, a woman's guide to love and intimacy with diabetes, uh, Dr. Janice and Donna. Um, we're talking about, and this comes up in the book those awkward times where you might feel embarrassed about discussing your desires specifically with the one you love. How do I begin that conversation? Like what, what are some tools I could take away to feel less embarrassed?
2: Well, so first I want, I want to, I want to tell your audience this one piece of information. There will always be in every relationship, a low desire partner. That's someone who wants sex less often than the other. And it can switch. There may be times when when one partner is a lot, lot more interested in physicality and in sexual expression and intimate activity. And the other one might be focused on on job deadlines or whatever, and is less interested. It always happens. And even when you're both interested, One is going to be lower than the other. So for example, let's say that um, you want to make spaghetti for dinner tonight and your partner had a different um, idea for what to eat, but goes, you know what? Spaghetti sounds good. One of you is more excited about the spaghetti than the other. You can both enjoy it, but one of you will be a little more, a slight bit more enthusiastic. So there's always someone lower and higher. It's absolutely normal i hate to use the word normal but that is it falls into the the realm of how everyone is so if you're the one who feels less interested and feels that your partner is putting demands on you or vice versa you're the one who wants more and you're not getting enough enthusiasm from your other partner if this happens in all relationships you're not there's nothing broken with you so that said the um, suggestions that I would make, especially when diabetes is in the picture, and even and really for any couple, is to make an appointment for intimacy. The whole notion that it's spontaneous and you're going to run and pull your clothes off and all that, it may happen once in a while. It could happen on a vacation when you're both relaxed. It may have happened while you, when you first got to know each other. But more often than not, our lives are busy, our focuses are in different places, and we need to make an appointment for intimacy. If you both know that you're going to take time out to be intimate Thursday night after the kids are put to bed or whatever, then you can start thinking toward that time. You can start deciding, uh, you can start to wind down your efforts to do work. You can start to think of how you might want to enhance the evening so making an an appointment which is actually a date make a date for sex that can be a really really helpful thing and then there's also a lot of tools discussing talking about what you like what you don't like if talking about it is difficult there's actually something i like couples i suggest couples do you can each draw on a piece of paper the outline of like a gingerbread cookie that gingerbread person And then take a red, a green, and a yellow marker. And what you do is mark in red the areas where you absolutely do not want to be touched that particular evening or that, you know, that time. Uh, Maybe your foot hurts. You don't want to be touched there. Maybe you just don't want your breasts to be fondled tonight. You're not in the mood. You can put red over there then yellow is where you are um, you'd like to be asked first so perhaps if you want to do your buttocks yellow you can say you know i maybe that's a maybe so ask me first or maybe even your genitals ask first don't just go there ask first and then green is it's You don't even have to ask me, you've got my permission. And that could be your hands. It could be, it could be your entire body if you're in the mood for it. Um, Maybe it's your neck. Maybe some days you don't want your neck touched, but today you do and you don't care. So that's green. So this is a visual permission board sort of um, where you can kind of color it in and say, here's where I am at this moment. And then you don't have to discuss it, you don't have to negotiate it, it's right there and you can actually make a game out of it and go, whoop, I'm not touching there, that's red. And it may change as the the time goes on. So that's also helpful for couples.
1: And Donna, I wanted to circle back to what you were saying about just my relationship with my provider. I mean, you have outreached and, and worked with so many different organizations, including Diabetes Sisters, how how have you found the comfort level of the patient population in bringing up any of these topics?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about sexual health or sexual problems is really, really difficult for everyone. And I think that's probably the question that I get all the time is, how do I do it? How do I say it? What do I do? I'm embarrassed and all that. And so I, I, I just think that really, what you have to do is, and I tell everybody, write down your questions. And you know today, you know healthcare providers are really busy. There's less of them, especially after Covid, Their appointments are short. sometimes they don't have the time to speak. And if you have a lot of other issues going on with maybe chronic disease, hypoglycemia, or whatever, sometimes you know sexual health takes a back seat. So I always tell everybody to, to say to the doctor or to the nurse practitioner or whoever they're seeing, you know, I there, I have some really important issues that I want to talk to you after we get through maybe talking about my diabetes management and some of those things and, or write them down and give them the questions. You know, today they have my chart and ways to communicate. You could send the questions ahead of time so that they're prepared as well. So I think that there's different things to do, but I think it takes encouragement it takes some education and someone giving them that you know the support to do that because i could say it is probably the number one question that i get and i'm sure you do too janice how difficult it is to bring up questions around your sexual health especially if you know your a1c is eight or nine and you know you maybe have some other things going that's an important part of your life too but sometimes it just feels like you can't get it in
2: Right, we have to remember that healthcare providers are human too, and as awkward, you know, we think that they, you know, hey, they should be able to talk about anything. But they, uh, many of them, are as uncomfortable as we are about talking about sex, which is truly a shame. But um, what that means is, if you do bring it up to your healthcare provider and they don't seem comfortable, they don't seem to be giving you the um, responses that you were hoping to get. Ask to speak to someone else, find someone else, see if you could, uh, you know, it's possible that one of the nursing staff is better to talk to or I when I did a lot of my work early as a registered dietitian. Uh, I, I had a lot of patients bring it up with me, and we would talk about their sexual health, which, um, you know, because they felt that I was approachable so we ha- we all encourage everyone to get a, a dream team of healthcare providers. And find the one who you feel is going to be most um, educated about this and most willing to have the discussion with you. And the most important thing is you deserve to have a, a meaningful sex life, whatever that looks like. Meaningful intimacy in your life. And don't sign off and say, you know, I can't get help for it or there's nothing for me and give it up. And also if something doesn't work, then don't give up on that as well. There's a, a story that I have. This one gentleman went to his endocrinologist and was complaining about you know, erection problems, ED. And the endocrinologist said, you're a great candidate for Viagra. That's what was out at the time. And so he gave him a prescription. And he saw him later and said, well, so how's it working for you? You didn't say anything. And he goes, well, doc, it's not working at all. And he said, well, how come it's, uh, you know, you're a great candidate for it. And he said, well, I, what I do is I take the pill and then I sit and I read a book about growing tomatoes and then, you know, nothing happens. And the doctor said, you, you need to use it properly. You can't, you need to to do something sensual, erotic to get the body going. The pill isn't robotic. It doesn't just give you an erection. So learning how to use it is one thing, So make sure that whatever you try, you learn how to use it properly. And then also um, the pills, the oral erectile um, pills that are available only work in about 60% of males with diabetes. So if you're one of those and you don't get a lot of satisfaction from it or it worked for a while and isn't working anymore, don't say, well, I guess that's the end of it for me. There are other options. Speak to your doctor again and let them know that it's not working for you and you want to try something else.
0: Yeah, and just to jump in here too, a lot of my patients were really unaware that urologists really deal with a lot of sexual health issues, and you know the implants and some of the other ones too. And there's a lot of um, Um, sexual health clinics within urology practices. And I think that that was kind of like an aha moment for so many of my patients, because they'd be going either to primary care or internal medicine. And yeah, maybe they could get the script. But if it didn't work, like Janice mentioned, it was that next stop. And thank goodness that that physician was able to address it and ask what the efficacy was of that drug and then help them him through it so that he's successful. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. But I think just giving people information and knowing that there are other providers out there, that it's not the end of the line, that like Janice mentioned, there are other treatment options. And oftentimes they may need to go to a different provider it can really help them expand some of those um treatment options.
1: All right. When we come back, we're gonna to go to the diabetic mailbag. And ask the co-authors of Diabetic's new ebook, Sweet Romance, A Woman's Guide to Love and Intimacy, Donna Rice and Dr. Janice Rosler to answer your most pressing questions. Stay tuned. You know, Janice, I'm going to give you the first question because you kind of brought up this topic. Cigarettes and Viagra, do they go together or don't they go together? This is one of the hottest topics on the Diabetic blog. Um,
2: well, here's the thing about uh, about erections to have a healthy erection you need good blood flow and a healthy blood pressure you need to be able to get the blood when the brain says go you need to have the blood delivered to the penis and stay there so you can have a, a healthy erection cigarettes impact circulation They wreak havoc with it, they cause problems with circulation, you've got the nicotine, all the effects of nicotine, and the thing is, it's fighting against the Viagra because what is the Viagra doing, the Viagra is prompting muscle tissues to relax, so more blood can flow more quickly. And the cigarettes are who knows what they're doing. They're messing up your blood flow and your circulation. So do they go together? No. And what I really encourage people to do is try whatever you can do to stop smoking. We see such a big difference in individuals and their ability to have healthy erections, even within a short period of time, once they stop smoking, their erection Gets much healthier, and then many of them don't even need the Viagra at that point. So that would be my recommendation: is that they really don't go together.
1: All right, okay, Donna, you're in the hot seat. Uh, okay. Many people on our blog have a problem or anxiety about going to the bathroom in front or around their partners. What's your advice?
0: Well, I think you know if if you're uncomfortable communicate it, say it, and then and, and then don't do it. So I I do think it's really up to the individual and what they want. And I think people have to respect their needs. So I think my thought on it is if, if I said to my partner, you know, I really want privacy, I think it should be granted and respected.
1: Dennis, what's your take on that? Because this has come up on the Divabetic blog a lot where people even start to experience IBS because you know, they they just feel so awkward getting out of bed and going into the bathroom about what could happen that they they just cause a lot of digestive digestive stress to you know on themselves.
2: You know, it's so interesting. I really think that I agree with Donna. There's nothing wrong with privacy. Um, I really don't think that this is a requirement to be able to use bathroom facilities in front of each other. I think that it's okay to close the door. I think it's okay to lock the door. I think, you know, we, we have a boundaries that we can put in our relationship. Um, there are many women who prefer to dress privately, get dressed in a private area in their closet and not have their partners see them yes in bed they may be naked and uh, during sexual times and during intimacy but when they want to get dressed they don't want anyone staring at them or looking at them and that's not their thing there are a lot of couples who do erect that boundary and if that's the boundary that helps you feel comfortable i have i see no problem with doing that Um, you know it's something that's negotiated within, you know, within a couple. And then the question would be, what does that mean to share that type of activity together? And what does it mean to you that you aren't doing it? That, to me, would be interesting to look at. What does that say about you? What doesn't it say about you? How come you think that that's something that's so important? As I said, I don't think if a couple wants to dress separately, go to the bathroom separately, um, lock the door during those types of personal moments, um, and it works for them, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. I think we need to be able to do what we feel comfortable with and set our own boundaries. I have no problem with that.
1: All right. And then the final one. Was uh, again to you, Janice. About can you use coconut oil or olive oil as a sexual lubricant?
2: Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Um, you certainly want to have clean hands. Make sure that you're using, you know, um, uh, a clean product. But these are natural oils and the body, it's fine in the body. There are special lubricants that are made for the vaginal. Anal area. I don't think those would be good for any type of anal play because generally you want something that is thicker, and those tend to be very thin. Also, um, there are some silicone lubricants that you don't have to apply as often. They stand longer, they're much more slippery, and a lot of people get satisfaction with those. Those are not water based, they're silicone. You just have to be really careful, Um, even with the oils you mentioned about getting them on the sheets because you're, you know, they stay on the sheets, they're hard to clean up.
1: Coming up in our final minutes, we're gonna talk about how role playing and playing with toys in the bedroom isn't just for kids. All right, back to Barbie and Ken, Dr. Janice and Donna. It's a toy and I know from streaming and everything, it's becoming much more mainstream that people hear about sex toys and role playing. Again, talking about some of the things you address in the new ebook, Sweet Romance, there some people are uncomfortable and embarrassed about this, but how can role-playing and even sex toys impact your intimacy and sex with the partner? Jan, sure. Dr. Please.
2: Oh, okay. So in my in my perspective, the bedroom is a playground for adults. Ideally, you want it to be a place that's fun and just where you can relax, you can be kids again, you can role play, you can do whatever you want, just like just like Barbie. You can be the astronaut, <laughs> whatever you want. So bringing toys in can enliven your um, sexual experience. And also, if you have any type of difficulty, um, perhaps if um if the male partner, for instance, wants to do some type of um, sexual massage on, on his female partner, for example, and he's got neuropathy and his hands aren't working as well, having a toy brought in, a vibrator or something that she can use can be great. And also, of course, if it's a same-sex partner too. So people can uh, bring, you want fun? joy different experiences, different touches, different vibrations. there's a lot of fun toys out there different colors, different makes things that that uh, are for different uses they're not expensive just make sure that you clean them thoroughly and that you don't put toys from the vaginal from vaginal area into the anal area and then return it to the vaginal area. you don't want to mix the anal area bacteria with, um, introduce that into the vagina you don't want to do that um, with your fingers as well make sure your hands are clean and don't switch from the anal area into the vaginal area without being very very clean but i i think toys can really liven um, a, a, a relationship that has kind of flattened out and gotten a little dull perhaps or just for fun why not and God- I I I I was just going to jump in to say, too, I'm wearing
0: my clinical hat. I've worked with a lot of women who had really trouble with neuropathies and having orgasms and vibrators really help. So I think that from a clinical perspective, and Janice mentioned it, too, with neuropathy, even with men, with sensation, it it really, really helps. So I'm a huge proponent of of trying it, looking for them buying them and there's places where you could purchase them and they come delivered to your home in a brown bag so nobody would know like your mailman or your neighbor or whatever if you live in an apartment building it's pretty discreet but I, I really think that it really does help to enhance orgasm and it really like Janice said fun brings you together and and like she said it's it is a playground in your bedroom and I think you should do everything that you can to really make that experience the best for the two of you
1: This conversation I'm thinking that just telling your partner you have diabetes kinds of kind tends to open the door for more conversations around love and intimacy because you're opening yourself with the vulnerability of expressing your a health condition, and it just seems to me like you've got a toe in the door now that you could begin maybe some of these other conversations we've been talking about, Janice, how do you feel about that
2: um you know it's interesting because I think one thing that people really fear in dating when they share that they have any type of chronic disease and of course we're talking about diabetes today they fear being rejected. And I interviewed a lot of different individuals about how they date and one thing that many of them found incredibly successful was if if they can have a positive attitude that will communicate to their partner how to feel about it, um, or how they could one option to how to feel about it. For example, I knew someone with diabetes. He wore an insulin pump, and he started dating this this woman, and he said he was so afraid to tell her about having diabetes because he thought she won't want to date him anymore. You know, it's a mystery turns out she did not know much about diabetes at all. As as a matter of fact, she knew really nothing about pumps, nothing about blood sugar, nothing about A1Cs, nothing at all. She wasn't in that world. And she said that the approach that he took, he decided to be relaxed and just tell her calmly, not freak out, um, and just give her uh messages of confidence and then he even showed her his pump he even um checked his blood glucose on his finger in front of her and said you know this is who i am this is what i have and she said his level of confidence in that and how he could take care of living with this really relieved any concern she had and she goes okay I I guess he has, he knows what he's doing. Uh, He, I think he's great. And they ended up actually getting married later. But I think the attitude that you bring to the relationship, if you're comfortable, if you are calm about it, it's part of who you are. It's goes in the bedroom with you also. It's just like color your eyes, your hair, and, uh, you know, communicate it that way. This is part of the package and see what happens. And if the person you're speaking to rejects you and they say, This is more than I can handle, I don't want to deal with this, then they weren't worthy of having a relationship with anyway. And that's how I, that's really how I feel about it.
1: How do you think Barbie and Ken could help start a conversation about your sexual health?
2: I would like to suggest that you have Barbie and Ken go on a date. And here's the great thing about using Barbie and Ken. Barbie and Ken can have the conversation that you want to have. And just like we do with children with puppets, and we give them stuffed animals and say, this is going to be you and this is uh, somebody else. And then they have the stuffed animals have the conversation. You, One of you can be Barbie. The other can be Ken. You can both be Barbies, whatever. But you have two dolls and have the conversation and it could actually make it a lot of fun bring out a lot of honest comments because it's not you saying it it's barbie saying it and it could really really open up a lot of conversation because it's done using the the assistance of barbie and kent
0: With the release of the movie, there's so much hype and so much talk about Barbie and Ken. And I think really, truthfully, a lot of people really didn't really think of it from a sexual perspective. But I think from the intimacy side and the friendship side, I think it could bring a lot of dimensions um, to a kind of sexual health gender identity, you don't have to be male, you don't have to be female, you could be whatever you want to be. And I think the message here is, you know, I could be whatever I want to be, male or female or whatever. And I think that that's certainly in today's um, sexual landscape and what's going on could be, I think, a real value, especially for young adults or or, um, adolescents, um, really learning about and really struggling with all of the things going on with um, sexual health.
1: I wanna thank Donna Rice and Dr. Janice Rosler for joining me on this podcast. And thank you for tuning in. Special shout-outs to our listeners in India, Australia, and Tanzania. Don't miss DivaBedic's next podcast. Subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, and Blog Talk Radio, or visit DivaBedic's Facebook page and YouTube channels. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours.